You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, a proud part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. That's it, us! Give me a gun! Never could shoot straight, the bastard! After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast, and they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast, and your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello, and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a show looking at movies and a franchise one film at a time. We are finally finishing out our sixth film, George A. Romero zombie arc with 2009's survival of the dead written and directed by george a romero i'm your host matt bradley shurgi with me is thrasher and alex hi it's about time we put down the diary and got back to surviving (laughs) if you ain't living you ain't dying we're going up the long ladder aren't we (laughs) Fancy a Guinness boil. Yeah, so we are, man, I mean, you know, so on on Twitter uh, quite some time ago, because this episode has been delayed for various technical reasons on my end, I finally fixed uh, getting good internet on the second floor of my townhouse. Um, All details listeners would love to know, I'm sure. We (laughs) are, uh, I, I did a poll that said, you know, out of the last two George A. Romero zombie films, which is worse, Diary of the Dead or Survival of the Dead? Because you see all these ranking videos, you see all these, you know, top rank, uh, the George Romero zombie movies ranked or whatever articles all over the place. And surprisingly, um, five out of six people that responded to the poll said Survival of the Dead was worse than Diary ah. of the Dead. And I violently disagree, but we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah. And Thr- Thrasher is making some faces. We We talked a bit offline about this, but well, you were the Ebert of the last episode, Thrasher. You 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 were the Ebert. You like the you gave it a sequel, yes. Yeah, but, I I I did not appreciate this film. Okay, and <laughs> and do you have some Irish heritage? Because I do. We were. I do. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And you do too. I mean, for if you're yeah a white guy, it's it's pretty likely you have Irish heritage. It's somewhat likely, I suppose. That's kind of a broad statement. I um I I used to work with a great guy named Charles who was a, a an immigrant from Ireland who's a, a programmer. Uh, and anyhow, he, he said when he first moved to the States when he was 19 uh, with, with his best friend in Manhattan, uh, they, they went to a place to get pizza. They had never really had pizza before, and they each ordered a whole pie, not really knowing what they were doing. They, uh. they go back to the hotel room, turn on the TV, and it's two back-to-back commercials for what? Irish spring soap and Lucky Charms <laughs> cereal. <laughs> oh, my goodness. He jokes well, him and his buddy were kicked out of Ireland because neither of them drank. Uh, on that note, you know, Survivor of the Dead, we were making all these dumb Irish jokes because <laughs> this, this is like zombies meet Hatfield and McCoy. Hatfields oh, and the McCoys. And yeah. like, but I literally wrote takes the troubles, goes Hatfields and McCoys on my notes here. Yes. <laughs> and you know this what is, that is? That's a premise for a movie. It is. I wish there it was in this film. <laughs> this movie does have a lot going on, and I I did yeah. some some research. I think before we talk about it proper, uh, George A. Romero made Survival of the Dead. I, I believe it came out like two or three years before this one, right? Uh, if you want to yeah. hear us talk about the other dead films, go to sequelcast2.com. Uh, and it, and this is the last film to be directed, sadly, by Romero before his death in 2017. Um, so. As I believe I mentioned in the Diary show, uh, regardless of what we, we thought or the listeners might think of the Diary of the Dead film, it kind of uh, revved up George A. Romero's uses and he wanted to do all these spinoffs. And Survival of the Dead was meant to be the first of a trilogy of spinoffs. Um, okay. I, I dug into my research pretty deep and I found what Romero was going to do for the other two films oh. had he been given funding for him. So Survival of the Dead... It's loosely connected to Diary of the Dead because it has the um, 
kind of army guys, special forces guys that went AWOL, right? As characters. Yeah, the they, they robbed the heroes of the previous film, and now they're part of the group of protagonists in this film. Yep. The other two spinoffs, one of them would have followed the southern woman that stole the car at the end of the show of Diary of the Dead. And we'd find okay. out what happened to her. And the other one, which I think sounds by far the most interesting idea, would have followed the, the group of the, uh, the black militant. They're not really militants, but they kind of create their own society, the bartering system with the weapons and stuff in there. Yeah. And I think that, I think that would have been quite, I, I think that's the most inspiring idea. He, each film would have been a different kind of genre and shot in a different aspect ratio. One would have been an academy ratio. Uh, Survival of the Dead is, is a Western. Um, and it's also kind of Hatfields and McCoys. It's the duck season, rabbit season of the Living Dead series. And uh, I, I think, you know, I wish you would have made those even if I'm not thrilled about uh, the characters in, in Diary of the Dead and that kind of whole setting. And, and he, he tried to get more Living Dead stuff done before he died. I think that's the real yeah. shame. He, uh, it, there's a book that, that, if it didn't come out yet, it's coming out soon. You sent me the picture of Thrasher. That, that's like a 700-page book that another author finished. Yes, it's like a, a, a of, the, of the Living Dead novel. Right. And it's Very supposed cool. to mean his unfettered uh, idea to you know, do whatever he wants in a zombie film because he never had a budget to do his vision properly. Yeah, yeah. It's simply called The Living Dead, and it's uh, by George A. Romero and Daniel Krause. Thank you. Huh. Um, so, I mean, I think that's pretty cool. He was working, he did a, a comic book series of the dead that also involved uh, vampires that was supposed to be getting a pilot for a TV series that I don't know if it got shot or not. And... Uh, before he died, he was going to write and produce a movie that would have been like Death Race 3000 Meet the Living Dead. So he, he clearly... Very cool. Yeah, so he clearly had a lot of ideas of what he wanted to do. It's a shame this is his last film, but let's let's talk about the movie as we do. I think uh, the first... Let's talk about our first impressions. The first time I watched this was for the show. Um, I, I picked up the, the DVD and put it on the, the Plex server. And sadly, you know, this uh, was released through i believe it says magnet releasing but but the the stuff on the dvd cover was like this very generic like midnight movie series survival <laughs> yeah. of the dead like what a way to shit on george a. romero you, you give him a higher budget than diary of the dead of four million which is like pissing in the wind really this yeah master uh, filmmaker well he's also one of the creators where his name on the box should be as big as the title that's true they kind of yeah. make it small it's almost as bad as uh, the Woody Al- one of the Woody Allen posters when he was doing pictures for DreamWorks with the, the movie with Jason Biggs and Christina Ricci, where it shows Jason Biggs with the giant heart on his back and his legs are quivering. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Like, I feel like I would find this in like the like the bin at like like it, Cumberland Farms or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no. This is the movie you find in in the dollar bin at Walmart where it comes on a DVD with 10 other movies and like right. half a megabyte compression. And it wasn't the, like a, it wasn't like unknown to people that who George Romero was, you know what I mean? It wasn't, you know, he's been a pretty prominent figure for decades, you know, and it's just such yeah. a shame that like you said, 4 million, it's like pissing in the wind and the guy practically modernized and popularized the zombie genre for all of everyone. <laughs> this got a very limited theatrical release of, you know, much like survival of the dead, the box office was only like, was under half a million was like 386,078 the box office. Mojo um, was a thrasher. Was this your first time watching it for the show? Yes. Yes, it was. And when, when you finished it, what was the first kind of thought that popped in your head? There, there are a ton of great ideas in this movie any one of which could have made a really good, really interesting movie, mm-hmm. but instead they're just sort of there. They're, it's just a whole bunch of premises just lined up in a row, and very. I found that very little actual movie happens. If he had just picked one or two premises mm-hmm. to build this around, that that would have been great. But like every every scene feels tacked on to me. Mm. I see what you mean. There is a little bit of, there is definitely a disjointed feel. It doesn't have much flow. However, I think 
Um, this part, this might partially be a bias on my own because I love westerns. So once I get a whiff of a western, my you know my uh, Alexometer goes up a little bit. <laughs> but, um, all that aside, though, personal bias aside, yeah, there it is kind of piecemealy and um, not very cohesive. But um, there's a flavor to it that I like, and you kind of get a feel for the for the habitat and setting and everything that. Um, I enjoyed, but I do, I do understand the clunkiness. It does feel a little disjointed when we go from the military dudes to the, you know, the Irish Isle of Delaware. Um, yes. And I mean, the big film this was inspired by was William Wyler's The Big Country. I've never seen it, but it's a hell of a cast. Gregory Peck. Yeah. Carlton Heston, Earl Ives. It's a very big movie that is, um, it's kind of boring, but it's really good to look at. It's got a great cast. So, but it is kind of like a, like a family feud turf war thing so i mean it's, it's nice to see george a romero in this picture working at the um you know the the big ass widescreen aspect ratio of two three five to one i believe you get those some of those big landscape shots yeah uh, you have that i mean it has horses so i guess that makes it a western but it's not as when i hear someone's doing a zombie movie as a western i always think the wild west and that that's kind of outdated i suppose but Whenever I hear horror western, I think of I guess before Tomahawk, top, before Bone Tomahawk. That's a hard sentence. Before uh, Bone Tomahawk, if I hear horror western, I always thought of Near Dark, even though it's vampires, not mm, zombies. But sure. I always think but, of yeah. Kevin Eastman's A Fistful of Blood graphic novel. Cool. <laughs> oh, that's Kevin that's Eastman title. of um, Ninja Turtles fame. Indeed, it is. Yeah. Ah, he, he does pretty cool. juicy uh, comics. And, and, it, and it certainly was. It's this a, a nameless and topless gunslinger wanders <laughs> into this dusty old west town, which is in the middle of a turf war between vampires and zombies. When you say That's topless, awful. you mean a woman, I assume? or Oh, yeah, yeah, it's a woman. Uh, okay. So um, a topless man goes into a, a western bar. It's like another Tuesday. Or... <laughs> sounds like the opening of a good joke. Um, Let's get out. We started, and I remember... <laughs> I remember kind of thinking at first, uh, I thought I thought the first act of the film was a really shaky start because I didn't really find the military guys all that interesting. Yeah. And I think it also reminded me of how much I disliked Diary of the Dead when I saw those characters again. It is kind of like <laughs> and last then, time um, on Diary of the Dead. I know, yeah. And um, and then the narration I thought was really clunky where he's like, you know, what do you say? He's like, I could have been a YouTube star or something like that. I thought that was another like kind of lame pop culture reference um yeah I mean, and the character just, was like they could have just started showing us the camera footage from when they were on camera and then kind of go into yeah that's us we're the bad guys or whatever yeah well, why do you even need narration at all like do some kind of weird i, I mean i mean the, the opening scene almost seems like something cut from a different film diary of the dead was guilty of this somewhat too where you do these kind of standalone vignettes but you have the um all the all the AWOL special forces guys and one of them's a zombie and they got to shoot their own uh, member of their team member of their squad it, it, it's not a bad moment but it, I, I don't think it right. feels like it should fit in this picture yeah, again, that feels like a, it does feel like another, like, I, I bet like two years from now, I'm going to forget which movie that's from. I'm going to be thinking, of, is that Survival or is that Diary of the Dead? But also, have you guys seen, um, you know, seen where the white, the dude is dead and he's underneath the white sheet and he kind of rises up? Did you guys uh, get that? I felt like that was a reference to Lucio Fulci's zombie. Have you guys seen that? It I, may I, have been. I have not, but you're probably right. Um it I, felt like it, right? Yeah, I, I, one, one thing yeah. I was a bit surprised, I was looking at some of the, the special features on the, the DVD, of which there wasn't that many, but uh, it, and George A. Romero said a direct influence on some of the um, <laughs> over-the-top comedic moments in this film was Zombieland, because Zombieland was a big hit. Huh. And, that was a big hit, yeah. And he's like, oh, we're going to have some real good jokes in this one. And I, I find the humor kind of, you have the zombie that's like, the guy that's fishing or whatever, the zombie that's fishing, the, the jokes, I think, are forced and not that good. It's strongest yeah. to me when it gets to the core concept of the the Irish families, the O'Flins and the Muldoons. In interview after interview, <laughs> Romero was asked, why are the actors talking in Irish accents when this takes place on Plum Island off the coast of Delaware? And... It, depending on how pissy Romero was, he would either say, I don't know, 
or if he was feeling more <laughs> precarious, he, he would say, oh, the actors decided that, and they're such great actors, and I decided just to let them go with it. Mind you, their names are the Oflins and the Muldoons, but, but, but to hear these uh, really thick Irish accents, and I've never been to Ireland, and I don't know what's a good Irish accent or not, but to me it sounds right. cartoonish, would you say, Thrasher? You've been to the land of the Green Isle, yes? It, it's not like... They're not they're not bad accents. It's it's just that it's it seems out of place. Like it would strangely enough be more believable if we were told they got in that ferry boat and went all the way to Ireland. Also, maybe I'm looking up the wrong Plum Island, but the Plum Island in Delaware is a peninsula. <laughs> That's quite funny. I mean, if I was doing this film. I would just set the whole thing on Plum Island and not tell people where Plum Island is. Make it almost like a fable. That, that, would, have, that would be perfect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a good Because the whole time point. I was just thinking, I was like, is there a lot of Irish people in Delaware? I don't know Delaware that well. Uh, uh, not as many as in New York or Boston. I would right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess I, it, I, it just it just comes off as uh, inexplicable. It's just an inexplicable yeah. choice that was made. The, and, and even then, like, the, the conflict that's going on, on on the island between, like, it's apparently it's, like, not really an old family feud. The conflict is based around what people should do with the zombies. And the dividing line is, well, do we put them down or do we keep them around? And they never really, I feel they never really go into why anyone wants to keep the zombies around. All I can assume is that since they're Catholic, it all has to do with like the preservation of the body in preparation for the resurrection, which I don't think is as big a thing now in Catholicism as it was before Vatican II. But I feel like that's what the movie's implying, although I have very little evidence to go on within the text of the film itself. When you say Vatican II, you mean the Second Vatican Council? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when, yeah, okay. when a lot of thing, a lot of policies uh, got revised. Yeah, when a lot of stuff changed. Yeah, that's what I got to. Is a, a lot of um, you know, uh, a Catholic um, thematic stuff, and I thought that was interesting. It gave the it gave the film a layer, but the whole like you know, do we kill the dead thing, is kind of like very familiar worn territory for me i'm kind of like yeah i know it's like your family and you probably don't want to shoot them in the head again or whatever or see them it, die it, again it's but. an evolution of what you saw in day of the dead with bub that was then carried forward yeah with, uh i think it was an unnamed zombie in land of the dead or perhaps he had a name i don't quite remember yeah um well and, well, the other thing though with the, it, it, it's it's the muldoons who their thing is keeping the zombies around right Right. So, so yeah. the, the thing is, is whenever, when we eventually go back to the island and we spend a lot of time with the Muldoons, they're pretty cavalier about just shooting the zombies. <laughs> right. They... Yeah, which is... It... <laughs> Sorry, you go. No, go on. Um, it's, a, it's a weird conflict, and it's kind of funny that's the thing that, because um, the Muldoons oust the other dude from the island... And I think um, one of the best bits of comedy, I found this to be hilarious, is that when the military dudes are all in their tank thing or whatever, and the kid shows them the uh, YouTube ad, I'm assuming, even though it's just a video on an iPhone. (laughs) Um, The internet still works. (laughs) Yeah, internet's still rocking. And um, I just, I found it so funny that he makes his own, like, little infomercial. And, like, he's like, hi, if you're looking for a nice, quiet place to go away from the drama. And he's just doing this to send people to fuck with his old rivals. And I think that's hilarious. I, I, I like, like that part. part. I, I think, yeah, t- to me that worked. I mean, but you talk about Romero making dated references. You know, I don't remember if they say YouTube or not. If they would say YouTube, that's a pretty lucky choice because YouTube is still hale and hearty. Yeah. But, but um, you know, the I guy's know trying to pull it up on the laptop and the younger guy is like, I watch it on my phone, man. What's oh, that big yeah. honker computer, dude? Like, yeah, off. he's like we call that. A, he's like you call that a computer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, I know. It's like stop trying to be hip. Just don't, don't do that. It's it doesn't work. Right. Yeah, I mean so, that that's the equivalent of the N- Nintendo and PlayStation references. And I know right. <laughs> exactly. So the so all the military characters in any other movie, they would be the first to die. Right. <laughs> Yeah, they, they don't seem as... They, they seem a bit loose. I mean, I haven't been in the military, but a lot of my family has. And uh, 
I don't know, almost any military guy I've met has been like, I wouldn't say nice, but like firm and kind of direct and to the point. And, and these guys just seem like a bunch of jerk offs. Like it's not, <laughs> and, and more to the point, like these were not interesting characters in that one scene they're in, in survival of the dead. Like this is, or diary of the dead, excuse me. These are the people yeah. you concentrate on when I think that the whole, um, O'Flynn Muldoon thing is kind of interesting and you have some the more you we talk about this Thrasher the more I'm starting to not like this movie as much thanks but <laughs> but, but you have I thought a pretty excellent scene early on where uh, the I want to get this straight the O'Flynn's are the ones that are just going around the island shooting zombies right yeah they're the ones putting yeah. people down the O'Flynn's yeah. are making an assault on a place that they know has a zombie, and the zombie is like a small, is like a child or something. That's two children. Two children. Like, that sequence I thought was pretty intense. You have some drama. You have Yeah, and some, they blow away the lady, too, on. which is pretty, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot pretty, going yeah. on there, including the implication, because, like, I think it, what it was like is that, like, the one child, like, got thrown from a horse, died, and became a zombie. They brought mm-hmm. it back put it in their home, and then they implied that it killed their other child, which is why they have two zombies. Right. Yes, and and I am... I don't know if this connection was meant to be made, but when I was watching it, I thought, you know, I've had um, grandparents die of... or basically be succumb to Alzheimer's or Parkinson's and that sort of thing, and I think you could make that connection with... They're not literal zombies, of course, but a big part of their oh, yeah. faculties are taken away from them, whether it's speech or... Um, thought or what have you and i i don't know i just felt sympathetic to the the zombies sort of which i think romero was kind of doing more and more in these pictures as they go on yeah it's it's not Uh, the zombies fault they're zombies yeah and we always do establish pretty quickly that you know man is the monster in in -hmm. these films and um but yeah the uh once we get to the island i feel like for a movie this short there's a lot of dumb shit that happens before we get to like the main thread of the Elfins and the the McCoys. I mean Muldoons, um, like the when they meet the kid and they're like little ragtag gang and they blow them away. I'm like, was that necessary just to get this character who kind of sucks? Well, it, it's not it just a of... kid. Before they get on the boat to go to the island, they adopt a hacker from the '90s. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and they, they make a big business of the guy to steal the boat and swim out to the boat. And oh, there's zombies swimming. It, 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 it does feel like an older movie in that Act One is literally thirty minutes, and you have to. But I think by more modern movie standards, mm-hmm. you know, you would do all this in the first like ten minutes and just well, get them to the right. island. Well, also that first <laughs> act does a really like aside from that whole, I'll call it a prologue with like the zombie children. That's like right, the first because then it is, goes like ten years later or something like that, right? Yeah, because like, yeah. the first the first act is is pretty is is pretty soft. I mean, there's there's no stakes, nothing's really set up. Mm-hmm. Also, like no one dies, despite the fact that a good portion of the first act is people shooting at people while also shooting at zombies in the harbor. Like, and, and the th- the yeah. thing. The moment the movie lost me is unfortunately in the first act, where at one point, like they they uh, they light up some. They've been using dynamite to like mine areas and kill zombies. Uh, O'Flynn and his his posse have so they like light some dynamite. They throw it at the soldiers. The soldiers manage to throw it back. The shack that O'Flynn and his posse are in explodes. Yeah. And then there's just like a cartoon, a smoking but not burning cartoon scaffolding of the shack is still there after the explosion. The whole posse is in it, completely unscathed, just with a bit of soot on their faces. And somebody <laughs> says something along the lines of, Jesus, what the fuck was that? It was fucking dynamite. <laughs> you should all be dead. <laughs> it was right. a goddamn I mean... cartoon. In the worst all, all, all it's missing is like a crow flying by, turning to the camera, going, it's a living. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, that was stupid. Um. <laughs> There's a lot of stupid at this movie, but once the special ops teams gets to the island, I think it starts to find its footing a bit more. Again, I don't think the special yeah, ops oh, teams yeah. needs to be there. Um, no. 
Um, I think, well, yeah, once we get to the island, I think, um, I do like the Western vibe, um, personal bias aside, I thought it was a, I, I thought it was a, an inspired choice. Um, but I wish it, I think it would have been a stronger film if it just committed to that more. And if we just hadn't gone through so much bullshit to get there, um, the stuff and with the, and daughter being a zombie on the horse, like kind of riding around the island isn't bad. Like that's an okay. Yeah, visual. I thought that was like it felt like it was like a page from like an old Irish like folklore, you know, like the great writer of oh, laughing falls Banshee. or some shit. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that had a cool um that that, had a, that was a cool little flourish there. I enjoyed. Um, yeah, there's something there's something going on there with her being a zombie and still riding her horse. Uh, there's there's less going on there when it turns out she's twins and they don't bother to mention that until <laughs> way late in the movie. And so there's the living version and then like. And, and then, you know, everybody, like, I guess, like, we got to prove, like, the, the Muldoons, like, we've got to prove that the dead can learn, we can teach them. Well, motherfucker, there's a zombie that has mastered all the equestrian arts living on your island. There's yeah, your Maybe proof. check her out. Yeah. Alex, you said maybe check her out. What do you mean by that? I was like, like yeah, maybe check her out. She seems to be, like you said, she has motor skills oh, to she's ride on the horse, ball, so. yeah. And the yeah, horse she's, yeah, seems exactly. to run. Right, that too, and they're not eating the horse. I think they actually do touch on that. So, I mean, um, horse gets eaten eventually. Yeah, yeah. As in in the sequence that is um is all right, but I mean, looking at the actors here, these this movie is filmed in Canada. When you film something in Canada, it's required that a, that a big percentage is typically Canadian actors and a Canadian crew, uh, which which I think makes sense. But there's one actor in here who's a character actor that I really like that they don't give him a whole lot to do, and that's Julian Richings. He has this mm. like comically fa- comical face with like this long nose and this huge forehead and these very sad looking eyes. He had a part in that Stephen King Kingdom Hospital show from two thousand one. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. He he's one of the O'Flins. He's James O'Flynn. He's given almost nothing to do here, but like he's a good actor. And the other people I don't really recognize, which is fine. But yeah. It, it's a- it's more of Ramiro's like low key casting, which is kind of his thing. Yeah, he um, in some of the interviews he mentioned, you know, when he was doing Land of the Dead, which had the biggest budget of his career, he at one day he was on set with you know Dennis Hopper and John Leguizamo and all these movie stars, a lot of which that Universal demanded that he use. Uh, interestingly, with Land of the Dead, Ramiro couldn't use the DP he wanted. They forced him to use a Universal Studios DP, hmm. which, huh. which caused some conflict, Weird. but. He's doing a, a, you know, this movie with these movie stars, and in the back of Romero's head, he he admits he was thinking, why go through all this money to make a movie? There's perfectly good character actors that I can get from next to nothing, like I've done in a lot of my films. It's nice right. that Dennis Hopper is in this film, but I could have, you know, there's a hundred actors, I yeah. think, as good as Dennis Hopper that could do this thing. And right. it doesn't take you out of the story as much if it's not a movie star, I think, for for some of these things. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it worked for him in Night of the Living Dead, of course, obviously, and Dawn of the Dead, and Day of the Dead, and then, um, you know, Land of the Dead, you know, you, you have a pretty bright and big cast. Um, it's not the best of his work, but it's definitely <laughs> the best of the post-millennium uh, dead films, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then I think what happened is that he just kind of kept doing Blank of the Dead, and I don't. I think there's yeah. just a lack of innovation, I think. Whereas well, I, uh, well, there, you know, is, is it because he wanted to keep doing of the dead movies, or is, or were those the only movies people were willing to fund? I have a feeling it's the latter, and I'm the yeah. Tragedy of it all is, I mean, it's like why does Stallone do a Rocky movie? Is it because he likes Rocky? I mean, I guess, but he always happens to do it when his career isn't doing so well. You know, yeah, you go I back know. to the well, better the devil you know than the devil you don't. Running diagnostics in three, two. Men like that is a podcast. Good so far. That really sucks. Oh no! Shut her down. Joe, shut her down. They thought they could make something funny. They can't do anything. They can't. Abort mission. Listen to men like that. Matt, I've got a great idea for a podcast. You and me, we watch movies, right? And some of them are kind of bad, and so we make fun of them. But maybe some of them are good. Chris, that's a great idea. Let's do it. And eat snacks. Movie Fighters, an original idea on the Greenlit Podcast Network. I mean, he had such a fallow period in his 
in Romero's career where he was developing projects and selling screenplays and, and making a good living doing that, but no movies were being made. Yeah. He did Bruiser, I think, between, yep. uh, which I haven't seen. It looks almost more like a slasher film or something, but Looks anyone seen that picture? Yeah, Bruiser? no, but... It was practically direct-to-video. It, it had this kind of faceless-looking villain. But between, uh, what is it, The Dark Half and Bruiser, there was like almost nothing apart from that Edgar Allan Poe thing yeah. with Argento. And, and it, it it sucks because um, if you look at something like Martin or The Crazies or even Knight Riders, yeah, there's yeah, such... Yeah, there's such vision to these films, and I'm not like begrudging that he he made you know a lot of Living Dead movies, but with the budget that you know, say with a budget of four million dollars, maybe we could have had you know some other kind of um, you know kind of you know revisionist horror flick like in the mar- in the mold of the movies I just mentioned. Um, and and much like too... someone like John Carpenter, he lived long enough to see a lot of his films get remade with the social uh, commentary taken out. Right. And also he lived long enough for, you know, it's not like a, um, you know, it's not like a posthumous fame thing. He was, much of his work was reappraised and much of his work was enjoyed at the time it was made. He just, I think Night of the Living Dead just screwed him over so much. And he basically got shafted out of the money from that, those movies. And um, I think it kind of just, damage his career from there on out um kind of getting off topic but yeah it just sucks that the only time he could make a movie was that he had to make a zombie movie and i think part of it was you know yeah probably did want to make these and then they were the only ones that people would give him money to make i mean you talk about the the zombie the living dead stuff thrasher like the ironic thing is you know what made land of the dead possible were ripoffs of Night of the Living Dead, like yeah. Resident Evil, the movie, and uh, uh, the, the, the remake, right, of, of Dawn of the Dead. In fact, George Romero wrote and was set to di- direct a Resident Evil movie that was more closely based on the video games. And Capcom just didn't like it, and they kind of had to say, so instead they did Paul W.S. Anderson <laughs> of Mortal Kombat fame <laughs> to do Resident Evil, which uh, has... Uh, I, I, I kind of like those movies, but, you know, it, they don't have much to do with the game, and they're more karate pictures. Than, or yeah, than, but uh, they made money. That's, uh, you know, that's why they're yeah, so they're damn many. In Germany. Uh, they keep yeah. making money. Yeah, uh, exactly. Well, yeah, um, the final chapter wrapped things up, even though it ended with a tease for a sequel, and I think it's either being rebooted or being done as a television series, depending on what you read, because we need that, don't we? <laughs> I know, and, right? and also, like, The Walking Dead was the other big zombie thing that kicked it off again. And that it took, like, all yeah. these things inspired by Romero for Romero to make more movies. And yet, when he could make more movies, it was just zombie shit. Like, pardon my French. But it, it's... Right. It, it's very frustrating. Speaking of frustrating, Survivor and, uh... of the Dead... <laughs> no, sorry, Alex. Finish your thought. Oh, I think that was really it. It's frustrating and, like... Um, you know, like we kicked it off by saying there are things I like about this movie. I did enjoy it. Um, uh, head and shoulders above, um, diary of the dead. I mean, is it a great film? No, but I think there's enough in it for me to say that I, I enjoy it. Uh, I wouldn't call it a good movie, but it's, it's one of those things where I can, um, acknowledge that I like something that isn't that great. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's ambitious. I'll give it that even though when you're getting at Thrasher, it doesn't always work and I'll, um, I think that's true as well. I really hate the last shot of this movie. When, well, what, it, what was that? I, I need a reminder. Thrasher? Well, so, you know, after after they're like, oh, the zombie that rides a horse can will also not eat people. Well, no shit. But then, you know, <laughs> bullets start flying. The families keep feuding. Zombies break out. Everyone gets bitten. Uh... I think like two of our heroes make it back to the ferry to get off, or three of our heroes get off the ferry to get back to, to go somewhere, wherever the hell. Uh, but uh, it ends uh, with M- the the elder Muldoon and the elder O'Flynn shambling around with guns in their hands, still trying to kill each other, even though they're already dead. <laughs> but but the cherry on top of that, which really drove me nuts, was you you had uh, a super widescreen shot. The composition I think is good. Uh, if you see the moon up in the sky in this big field and, and, and the, the zombified uh, 
Head, Muldoon, and O'Flynn have have guns, and they're walking towards each other, and they try to shoot the gun at each other, but That's they're both right. empty. And it's like, duh, this is symbolism. Duh. <laughs> just like ends. It's, just like, it's like the rat at the end of The Departed. <laughs> yes, it, which The Simpsons made fun of really well. Uh, I haven't seen the this a new episode the of The Simpsons. The rat symbolizes obviousness. That's it, yeah. The rat symbolizes obviousness. <laughs> I guess Beth Fro smells like cat food. <laughs> Super Nintendo Chalmers. Oh, I love Ralph Rickham so much. Uh, oh, Ralphie, honey, get off the stage. Uh, but yeah, it's just, again, that's another scene that is very tacked on, does not add anything to the film. And it's your Also, Jimmy, like, man. if you're going to have their feud continue, I would like to see their ideologies manifest in how they behave after they're mm-hmm. dead. Now that this yeah. film pretty much indicates no zombies can get smart with no special stimulus. You know what? Right. Why not have Muldoon refuse to kill O'Flynn because that would mean putting a zom- zombies down, which he's ideologically opposed to, even though we've seen him do it about eight times in this movie. Right. Or like, you know, one of them's like making fire or something like, Ooh, they can learn. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Night of the living dead meets clan of the cave bear. Let's request <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, fire. So, I mean, in, in conclusion, survival of the dead, I, I barely give a sequel yes. I admire its ambition. I think there's more going on here. It's less hacky than Diary of the Dead. Is this a good movie? No, but if you've watched this many uh, Living Dead movies to this point, you might as well watch the last one. It's not a reading endorsement. I'm giving it a very half-assed <laughs> sequel yes because I think it it has a lot of ideas, and I'll admire that every time over a shaky cam movie where one of your lead characters goes, how does it feel for you to be on the camera now, man? <laughs> that was horrible. I'm I'm giving it a sequel. No, I don't think you need to see this movie. Even if you're a completist, this may be the, this may be the one to skip. It, it's too many ideas because none of the ideas have space to breathe and are ever adequately explored. Uh <laughs> I, I found I, I found myself but the part I enjoyed the most was the horseback riding only because I respect horseback riding as a skill. <laughs> it's really difficult. <laughs> I, I, I did it once in the Boy Scouts and my horse kind of went loose on the trail and kind of not 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 galloped, maybe you'd say a canter, but it it'll scare this piss out of you. Like mm. horses are big and can throw you off, kill people Muscle. like Yeah. Be nasty little a zombie beasties. horse, that would have been cool. Yeah. Yeah, really, right? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Alex, what do you what do you give uh, Survival of the Dead? Um, a sequel, maybe. No, um, <laughs> it gets, the, like you said, a very marginal, very, very okay. slight teetering on uh, no sequel. Yes, I think, like you said, there's, um, I want this to be a sequel, yes, that's a little more elaborate than I like Westerns, but, um. No, there's um there's some there's some interesting stuff going on, even if it's a little hackneyed. Um and there's some cool um there's a cool interpretation. There's some fun deaths, some 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 good zombie deaths in there. Um I kinda like the Irish vibe even though it's out of absolutely fucking nowhere. Um but it's uh it's a flawed film that's got some decent stuff going for it. Is it essential Ramiro? Absolutely not. But it's um, there's some there's some fun bits and to, to to mull on. Oh so. hey, the switchboards are lining up. We're getting a we're getting a call. Oh, who is it from? Well, it's, it's it knowing be? this show, it's either going to be Shecky Spielboig or Slimer. So uh, or maybe Donald Glover. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'll go ahead and uh, put them on the line. Okay, you're you're on sequel cast too. Hi, yeah. So, I, oh, the oh, Shrekky Spielboy here. It's been a while. God knows I've tried. I've done the truth. I've even lied. So, so when I'm doing all of these things here with uh, all the zombie pictures, I I made zombie pictures of my own. But I only started doing it when Romero came out with Survival of the Dead. I go, there's a lot of movies without the dead at the end. A lot of movies. And so I thought I can do one of the dead as well. I can capitalize on it after 50 of the dead films. But your innovation was of the dead is how your title started. That's right. That, that's right. There was a there was a zombie movie that uh, no one talks about, and actually, the Muldoon character 
in uh, that the, the 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 Jurassic Park movies was based on a character I came with. His name was uh, Ricky Muldoon, and he uh, rode a surfboard through the desert, shooting zombies with a BB gun. He was such a good shot. You go pump, 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 pow, pew, and then they took the zombies out. But then uh, uh, baby brother Stevie uh, made him a, a raptor hunter. And uh, my, my Muldoon was way cooler. So that actually inspired uh, Georgie to put the Muldoons in the dead movies. And then, um, you know, and then the Teamsters came and started to break it up. I, I'm sorry, Thrasher. That, that, that's uh, Al Pacino's getting on the line. He sometimes hogs things a bit. Talking about he, he likes making independent films himself. If you've seen his Richard II documentary, Richard III, yeah. excuse me. But he does know a heck of a lot about your Of the Dead Pump It Up. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, of the Dead Pump It Up, inspired by the Korean uh, dancing game Pump It Up, uh, sort of like Dance Dance Revolution, except the, the arrows are in the, the diagonal corners. And this one, it's, uh, you know, these kids are dancing on, on this mattress. In fact, the whole thing's in overhead beds I've used shot of this mattress with feet coming in, in and off the frame, and you hear this techno music in the background. But towards the end, you see a foot is deteriorating, and it's a skeleton foot. And one of the characters goes, hmm, is it a zombie or a skeleton? And it ends, keeps the viewer in suspense. Of the dead, pump it up. And I should know a thing or two about sequels. I was in the Godfather movies. The first one, the second one, the third one. Not like Bobby, he only made it for the for round two, I was there, all three, and they rejected my script for Godfather 4, The Don Goes to Space. Don Goes to what, Space, what, what happened in that one? Did the Don go to space, or was the title just misleading? He went to space, but it was a space in his head, but it just so happens the satellite was actually in space. And then he met Jason X, and they had ice cream together, and it melted really fast, because as it turns out, space gets hotter the closer you get to the sun. Well, not just that, as as they have the ice cream, they're still a bit peckish. So they finish things off with a Dunkachino, as oh. featured in your in your movie with Adam Sandler, where he, he's the woman and the, the the female cousin and the guy. What, what people forget, though, is that when you're in a Sandler movie, you're really in Sandler's head because he's a, a visionary. Uh, he's an auteur, like the French say. He's an auteur. And it actually turns out, Space ice cream doesn't melt. It's dehydrated. Ooh-ah. What a twist. <laughs> what a twist. Ooh-ah. Gentlemen, I think, thank I think you. we're losing the, the connection here, but that it's always delightful to hear from uh, Al Pacino and uh, Shecky Spielboy. Yeah, such I think they hang out. Friends. <laughs> I, I, think, I think they do. There's a lot of, in fact, in a recent interview, Al Pacino said for a while he was picking bad movies to do on purpose, thinking he could save them. <laughs> I think I think they're both That's... staying in the same cousin's boathouse. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so uh, on to wow. pitch a sequel. I mean, survival of the dead. D- given that I said all that stuff in the beginning, what Romero really would have done, and that this is the sixth zombie movie, it's increasingly difficult to do a pitch a sequel. But I, the idea that comes to mind for me is you would have a. Uh, a daycare with a lot of like uh, pre um, like pre K children, and one one of these little kids happens to be a zombie. It would be all set in a daycare, and this like a uh, teenager that's you know covering the daycare for the day because her mom who runs the daycare has to go to work. It's an emergency at, at her other day job. It's a last minute thing. The teenager is in charge of all these little kids, which is a hard thing. But then one of them's a zombie. And it's like the children are bringing the infection and they're all pre-K children. They can't really speak. The little kids are kind of crazy anyway. How do you deal with that? It would just be really intense, really dark. It would involve, uh, there'd be a lot of dead small children at the end. There'd be a, a SWAT team that comes in at the end to respond. And uh, the, the film would end with uh, the, the teenage girl. She's, you know, barely alive but the SWAT team comes in and they see a bunch of dead bloody toddlers and this teenage girl that that has a gun in her hand and uh, they shoot her in the head and and they kill her and and so it'd be a very very dark film and I would call it Daycare (laughs) of the Dead Speaking to the Times (laughs) Yes yes (laughs) Thrasher what's yours 
So I shouldn't I, be laughing. <laughs> so what I'm going to do, I'm going to take a movie premise that I've actually had for a while. So it's mine. You cannot take it. Copyright me. Uh, but Wait, no. but I will arbitrarily graft of the dead to it to make it part of this <laughs> franchise. But the the short of it is that it starts like one of those feel good tribe of the human spirit astronaut movies. But then the astronauts on the space shuttle, they lose all contact with NASA. But they got to go through with their landing anyway. They go through with their shuttle landing. Turns out when they were in space, all the zombie craziness happens. So it's these astronauts trying to sort of get their way from uh, get their way from uh, Cape Kennedy to to any place where there's a bastion of civilization. Uh, they keep getting a they keep getting a signal from a SETI outpost, so that's what they're trying to get to. Uh, and of course, when they get there, it turns out the signal from the SETI outpost is a signal that SETI is forwarding. It is a warning from aliens about the zombies, but it came too late. Ooh. And the title like again? Uh, let's see the title again. Uh, Landing of the Dead. Nice. Very nice. Alec. Um, so I'm going to just put some random survivors from Survival of the Dead in okay. here. Let's say there's four of them. And um, they, 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 they leave the Hatfield-McCoy ranch, and they find a, um, a very remote, uh, very ornate Catholic church. And it's, um, it seems to be kind of in this force field around it, this very thin kind of aura around it. And they, they go in, and it's completely vacant. So they take up a camp there as refuge, and um, it turns out it's pretty zombie-free. But every day at midnight, four zombies come falling through the sky and land in the church, and they don't—they can't leave the force field around it. And it turns out that the zombies um, they, uh, perfectly resemble the parents of the uh, four survivors, and then they have to are faced with with killing the zombie. And then it turns out that each, with each preceding day, the, the zombie parents look more and more human and take on more and more human characteristics to the point where they start talking and walking and, and stuff like that. So it eventually drives them mad. However, they have the, the, par- the, the, the paradox of it being a protected area. So do they go back and take on you know, life as they know it in the outer land, or do they stay in the freaky zombie cathedral of reigning zombies? One can never be sure. And it's called um, uh, Church of the Dead. The yeah. Parent Trap 4. <laughs> Problem Child 6. Uh, <laughs> Let's get together. <laughs> you know that Problem Child was one of like Martin like Scorsese really liked that movie? Yeah, and he featured it as the movie that De Niro was watching in his yeah. remake of I forget what that movie's called. Cape Fear, yeah. Cape Thank you. Fear. Yeah. I, a little problem child trivia. Yeah, I, I heard that story on the podcast by the the woman that he dated for a while, and I can't think of Oh, uh, Eliana Douglas? Yes. Yeah, I love her. She's great. Yeah. It was on the short-lived, excellent Fox series, Action, with Jay Moore. Oh, yeah. She's great. She's great, you know. Oh, uh, Stallone's here too. <laughs> hey, you know, yeah, gotta be on the podcast, you know. Uh, Thank you, of, Frank. Speaking of Stallone, <laughs> I saw a there's a a thing going on Twitter where people were like, "Oh, look up the year and month you're born and see what the Vanity Fair cover was." And there's an awful one from the late '90s of a nude Stallone doing a thinker pose. That's the most pretentious thing I've ever seen. The late '90s too. That's um, an interesting time for. Might have for been slide. early '90s. I take it back. Yeah, but even okay. then, it's still not a great period. Like yeah, the rock still kind of, by, kind of weird. Uh, I think his career. <laughs> um, so now we're going over to what you're watching, Thrasher. What you're watching? So I did another one of my watching a movie now that uh, I always saw at the video store, but that my mom wouldn't dare rent for me. Uh, so. <laughs> I finally saw Frank Henenlotter's Brain Damage. Uh, Frank Henenlotter, you may remember as the uh, writer-director of the classic uh, B-movie Basket Case. And in fact, uh, Kevin Van Hentenrich from Basket Case 
makes a cameo in this movie carrying the basket, implying that there's a cinematic universe going on. Uh, but <laughs> Brain Damage, it's a wonderful psychedelic uh, horror film, a horror comedy, really, uh, that must be seen to be believed, where the, the short version is it's about addiction, but specifically this guy in New York gets addicted to the secretions of this weird slug creature that escapes from its confines and finds its way into his apartment. And the slug creature goes by the Welsh name Elmer, and it has a voice. It eventually starts talking. It is voiced by Zach, by the classic horror host, Zachary the Cool Ghoul. Oh. And yeah, it was one of those like, midnight movie horror hosts, right? Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah. He, I'm he looking also at the cover a, here. He released a novelty album, uh, and he gets a musical number in this movie. Oh, wow. Does it live up this, to, your, um, to your dreams, to your lusting you've been having after he, it for decades? You know, it did. It was well worth the wait. <laughs> it's There's someone in the cast called Sledge Wham House. I mean, Slam Wedge House. <laughs> Sledge Wham House is a better t- <laughs> That's probably probably one of the people at the at the uh, nightclub. <laughs> you think, you think <laughs> it's a nom de plume, or you think it's a? I'm sure it's a stage name, but like, man, there are some amazing deaths in here, amazing gags, some amazing amazing effects to sort of simulate what's going through uh, Brian's head as he gets high off the secretion of Elmer's secretions, and it's just, and it's just like all that neat sort of hand-drawn special effects real just really cool he looks kind of high on the poster he's kind of got that like oh look um oh. this looks awesome though and it's by the oh. guy that did basket case is that right yes yes it is and, oh and the ending okay. is full goose bozo i'm not even gonna bother trying to describe the ending <laughs> you're just gonna have to see the ending got it <laughs> great uh i i watched something on on disney plus that um I've been meaning to see it for a while, but it just recently made its premiere on Disney Plus, even though it was in a few film festivals, like Tribeca Film Festival in 2018. Uh, directed by Don Hahn, it's a companion piece to his documentary *Waking Sleeping Beauty*. I am talking about Howard, about Howard Ashman, the uh, lyricist who died of AIDS, uh, but he he was mainly known for doing *Little Shop of Horrors*, *Little Mermaid*, *Beauty and the Beast*, and a little bit of *Aladdin*. Um, and he worked with Alan mm-hmm. Menken. I mean, Alan Menken is uh, still alive. Did, did you know? Is pretty much a Disney's go-to uh, composer of of the the songs and scores and stuff in their cartoons. And it it was really good. Really, you know, kind of sad. A man taken before his time. Um, and uh, oh, you got the scene. Great. Um, and I I didn't realize some of the other shows that Howard Ashman did uh, as a struggling uh, artist in New York. And and much like Waking Sleeping Beauty, instead of being talking heads, instead you get voiceovers of uh, the, the interviews done contemporaneously of, of his peers are, are played as the audio. And the, the movie itself is like almost like one of those Civil War documentaries where it's like pictures and sometimes vintage footage. So it's a respectful treatment of Howard Ashman. I learned a lot. I... Uh, Cried, which I don't normally do during these things, but probably more sensitive to these things with all these fucking COVID stuff going on. But yeah. it, it, it's, it's well a, done. It's good. And like Disney pretty Plus. Pretty impressive resume, though. Yeah. Yeah. It, Disney Plus, you know, does has a lot of crap on it, but this one's actually good. Cool. And, and if and, you haven't uh, seen the other documentary, Waking Sleeping Beauty, that one's quite good, too. Thrasher and I were talking about that. That one is about Disney's uh, animation features, notorious kind of fallow period after Walt Disney died. Up to the point of when you know Howard Ashman and Alan Menken helped Disney have its like kind of second golden age, if you will, with Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, uh, yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, I'm looking up at a picture of him. He kind of looks like like Michael Rappaport and Jack Palance. I don't know a bit. I mean, he also looks at all. much older. I didn't realize he was only 40 when he died. He looks much older. He has kind of an older man's uh, face. Yeah, uh, that 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 sucks. That's way. Yeah, that's a that's tragic. Yep. But it's, uh, you know, the interesting thing uh, I'll end this on is in Aladdin, the songs he did that were featured in the cartoon were Prince Ali, 
the one at the beginning that the dealer the Arabian, that, Nights. Arabian Nights, thank you, and um, never had a friend like me. Oh wow, those are pretty those standout. Are some ones. of the best numbers in the show. When oh, yeah. uh, Disney did their Broadway version, they brought back some of his old numbers he did that were just not used in the film. When originally the concept of Aladdin was he had three friends that were guys and they kind of go on the adventure together. Oh, that's cool. Have you Very ever cool. seen uh, Have you seen this documentary, Thrasher? I know you watch a lot of Disney stuff. Regrettably, no, I have not. Okay. Do you still have Disney Plus or no? Oh, no, we, we've still got it. Okay. I likely will be seeing the documentary scene. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, well worth your time. Uh, and Alex, what have you been watching? Um, I recently rewatched uh, Brian De Palma's Raising Cane. Have you guys seen this? No, but I, I vividly remember the, the box with the, yeah, the so, gal, kind of a negative photography thing. Split. Yeah. It's, I hadn't seen it since I, I bought it on VHS a million years ago. And even then I was like, this is kind of stupid, but there's, there's something going on here. Um, so uh, my girlfriend recently got the Arrow Blu-ray, and um, I, I, I told her, I was like, it's, it, there's some dumb stuff, but I remember some good stuff, too. And second time through, there was actually a lot more I appreciated about it. Um, it's about this guy, uh, Carter, and he has an alternate personality, Kane, I believe. He has a bunch of personalities. This, this is basically, I felt like M. Night Shyamalan saw this and wrote Split. Um, yeah, I was going to ask how it compared to Split, <laughs> or how Split right. compared to it. I would say if like if Split was fun, this is kind of what you'd get. Like you can tell, like John Lath John Lithgow's going all in, but he he's hamming it up too in like a really fun way. John Lithgow's um, hamming it, it up. What? Yeah, I know, right? But even for him, it, he's 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 turning it up to eleven, and um, it's it's a movie that knows it's kind of stupid and totally embraces that, and it's pretty gonzo. And then you get these great De Palma scenes of, you know, slow motion, multiple camera angles, Pino Danaggio score just like blushing all over the place. And um, I mean, it's a I would say this is maybe for fans only in the De Palma department, but it's um, in the De Palma department. Um, but no, it's it's a it's a whacked out movie, but it's a lot of fun to watch if you have uh, if, if you're up for it. If you're a De Palma fan, then then you have a head start in the 90s. Uh, early 90s. I think it's like okay. 1990, actually. Um, and it's actually interesting because Brian De Palma and Pauline Kael, unlike so many of the new Hollywood directors, they actually were kind of simpatico. They were buds. Hmm. And she wrote that famous book. It was kind of like a hot take on Citizen Kane called Raising Kane, spelled obviously K-N-E. It was 92. And then, um, and then, lo and behold, later on in 92, De Palma makes a film called Raising Kane. So it's kind of interesting. They're little you know referential relationship they had there um speaking yeah, of so raising cane pauline kale in the movie willow the name of the evil general with the skull thing is general kale and yeah and there's another one for ebert right uh ebert and siskel yes the two-headed monster yeah. is called the ebert sisk even though it's never named as such in the movie <laughs> there's a uh... was in the merchandising uh, yes, and Cisco and Ebert mentioned that in their review of Willow. Really? Yeah. But apparently, Which is funny because I think that, I always thought they were kind of generous with uh, George Lucas too. Uh, were they? Were they generous with Ron Howard? That's the question. Ah, yeah, that's right. You know, they were generous with Lucas as a whole, except for things he produced that you know kind of flopped, like. Uh, I was going to say Happy Time Murders. That's not what it is. Radio Land Murders. Oh, okay. They did not like. And uh, I don't know. I think <sighs> that's that's a whole separate issue. We should do a special episode on Cisco and Niebuhr sometime because. Definitely. They really yeah. Well, I think also back then before film critics were like us and everywhere, you know, mm -hmm. they we had sold people who were really were arbitrators of your film. You know, it wasn't a Rotten Tomato score. It was a thumbs up or a thumbs down from. And, and that could make and break an indie film in particular. It could make a, a fledgling. Oh, oh definitely. Yeah. Or, or actor for oh, that matter. Sure. So let's wrap these things up with a sequel scene you tossed on us, Thrasher, doing your crack research. Um, yes. Why don't you describe the scenario? Uh, this is uh, shortly after the military people have adopted the ha the hacker 
and they want to uh, they want to use this armored truck they found. Okay, I would like to play the boy. All right, <laughs> I guess I'll do Sarge Nicotine Croquet or Crockett. I guess right. it's supposed then. to be Crockett. I'll be Kenny. Okay, I wonder if uh, does is he called nicotine because he smokes? I bet it is. He smokes once. It's one of those things where, like, you eat a roast beef sandwich <laughs> once on your first day at the office, and the next thing you know, for the next five years, your nickname is Big Beef. But you want to be called T-Bones deep down. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Thrasher, can you read the stage directions as well? Oh, yeah, of I'll which, do that. Of which there's just one. Okay. There is no way out. Yes, there is. Points to the ferry docked nearby. We could drive onto that thing. In this armored truck, you just want the money. I've never been about money, okay? I've always been about staying alive. And this tank gives us a shot at staying alive. This truck might be our savior, but it won't drive on water. Well, someone is going to have to swim out there, meaning me, and start that boat up. What if it won't start? What if it's out of gas? Then we're shit out of luck. Cisco, back up to the edge of the pier. I'm going out the back door. <laughs> I didn't realize this until I, I was reading the dialogue as, as we all were acting it, but it really strikes me as John Carpenter kind of dialogue. Sort of. You know what else? Yeah. They are so obsessed with money, which is objectively worthless at the beginning of the film, because there's no, like, merchants out there. <laughs> to, yeah, to, to I know. And they also kind of touch on that in Dawn of the Dead, too. Like, remember, he's like, you're never going to know. And they, 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 they throw all the money in the bag. But also, the ferry is moored to a dock. You don't need to swim to it. You can walk around to that side of the dock. And if there's no gangplank, which there should be if it's regulation, then you could just hand over hand up the mooring lines and then boom, no problem, no swimming through zombie infested water. Right. I guess, um, I guess uh, maritime, maritime law, law was always a special specialty. You're a crook, Captain Hook. Judge, won't you throw the book at the pirate? Right. We have so, a lot of time in the high seas. Next time on Super Cast 2, we will be covering the something I'm surprised we haven't done before, the Wayne's World duology. <laughs> that, that's always the next series for us. It has been for the past year and a half. Right. I don't. We were going to do it a year ago, and then my archived copy was in storage, and I couldn't get a hold of it. Uh, but I now I, I'm going to. I own a house. All my stuff is here, so <laughs> I'm reunited with my beloved movie collection once again. So, for uh, sequel cast two, you can listen to us on Stitcher. You can listen to us on Spotify. We're part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at m a t w b t. Uh, please leave a good review for us on the Apple Podcast app. That kind of thing helps with the rankings and the downloads and the this and that. So anything like that would be great. For uh, sequel right. cast to... Uh, th what the fuck am I doing? Uh, Thrasher, go. Well, well, I just want to let people know that our theme music is performed by Mark with the C. Check him out at markwiththec.com. And where can people follow you? They follow me on Twitter at Internet Mayor. Alex. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at CrabNebula1914. And if you want some cool, weird, fun stuff, check out the trailer project on YouTube. Very good. So, uh, for Sequel Cast 2, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. And this is Alex. Saying. You got to, a man's got to protect his own. I got a 500 pound potato. You got to worry about the coffin they carry off, and it's quite the thing. <laughs> that rhymes, and you know it. Some people think I'm a poet. I know that sounds like a bad, like, uh. <laughs> well, you know what? Try and try all the time, but I can never come up with words that end the okay. same way. I still. Tis better than Belfast, it is.
Oh, four and twenty virgins went down to Inverness. But then marching back, well, there were four and twenty less. And there's like 700 <laughs> verses to that song, and I know like 300 of them. That's still impressive. I will end this with one of my favorite vintage songs. This song is quite old, and it's Irish, I believe, because it's about beer. Uh, a long time by ago, way back in history, when all there was to drink was nothing but cups of tea, along came a man by the name of Charlie Mops, and he invented the wonderful drink. He made it out of hops. A, he <laughs> must have been Admiral Assault and Order King, and to his praises we shall always sing. Look what he's done for us. He's filled us up with cheer. Lord bless Charlie Mops, the man who invented beer, 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 tiddly beer, beer, beer. 